Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, we're going to do this one more time. I'm going to take announcements as being like the warm-up. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Changes everything, doesn't it? Changes everything. Um, I got some dear people in my life that don't understand this yet. And uh, I love them dearly. Uh, it's not my job to convince them. But I wrote to one of them this morning, just said, hey, I, I know we, uh, we see this day different, but um, <clears throat> we grew up together. He's only a year younger than me. We talk a lot. And I said, I know both of us know that um, we know what mortality is. Can't wait till we can spend some time together again. So I wrote him a couple times. We talk about this at length and totally different worldview. But I'm telling you, I just see the trajectory of life. And I'm praying, Lord, have mercy here. Um, it's not our, we can't convince anybody anything. That's not our job. Making sure it's real for us and living it real for us is, is, is what is, and letting his light shine out. That's the deal. God hears our prayers. It's a good thing. And uh, yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know how you woke up today, you know, what you thought today would be like. You get different things. You think a day is going to be a certain way, and it's totally different. Certainly, this has been a year, uh, it's been a season. But just different things have happened that we, we didn't expect when you think about it. And a lot of times there's days that are just very unexpected. I want to assure you, so we're celebrating in a particular way today. But 2,000 years ago on this particular day, it wasn't exactly a celebration. Not yet. It was actually pretty confusing. And we're going to be in Mark's account. Uh, you know, the, all the gospel writers tell this in particular ways and, and you get some of the idea of confusing. I wrote this, is, this, is it too good to be true? And um, I'm not even sure they're asking this question yet. <laughs> I don't even think they're that close yet in terms of this day is, is what it is. It's interesting that when you read the Gospels, I would suggest you one, I mean, Mark's pretty short. That's one if you're not used to it. Uh, read it, read it slow. But if you read it carefully, you'll notice there's actually five times that Jesus told his disciples about his death. He told them he was going to die and suffer, and also about his resurrection. Five times that he said that. It's pretty clear that the disciples never understood that when Jesus is speaking. In fact, I don't know if I'll have time to look at it, but in chapter 8, that's when Peter basically, it's the first time Jesus says it, and Peter rebukes Jesus, if you can get the audacity of that. He basically says, Jesus, that's a bad plan. It's not going to happen. Remember, remember Jesus' response back to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, like, that, that's pretty strong words. But he, he says, because um, not as if Satan had possessed him, but what he was saying was not. And he says, get the, behind me, Satan, because um, you have in your mind the things of man, not the things of God. Man, I mess up on that all the time. I think of things in my perspective. It's, so what's God's view? What's God's perspective of this? And really, God's people, that's part of the whole deal. The news, everything. It's like, all right, God, what are you doing? 
How should I think about this? It's part of being a disciple of his. So, but, but throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus says these things, and they, they, they don't get it. And in some sense, we could go like, well, I understand, because I mean, we can almost imagine someone predicting their death, right? I mean, we can almost imagine that. But predicting the resurrection, that would be like, they said that we just like, I'm not sure it would ever go in our ears. We'd think, I don't know what he's saying, or is that, cra- I, I just don't get it. So the fact that the disciples didn't is somewhat understand, understandable. I mean, who says something like that? Certainly no human being would say that. But it's five times that he says this. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, one of the themes of the Gospel of Mark is this. He says it here, they don't understand. He says it here, they don't understand. He says it plainly along the way. In fact, it's kind of interesting who does understand things. So this is the anniversary of the resurrection of Jesus. And today we're going to read a portion of Mark's account and talk about it briefly. And, and as we do that, it's, it's good for us to go back and think about that. But if we do that without thinking about our own lives, we've uh, wasted our time in a bit. So that's where I want to kind of end us up on. Uh, I'll say a couple things along the way. So we understand this is Mark's account. Um, if you've ever gone to a sporting event with some friends, or if you've ever witnessed um, a a traffic accident, people will experience the same things and talk about it differently. It's not that they're contradicting each other. And people say it about that, oh, the gospel accounts contradict it. No, no. It's this guy who saw this, so he tells you this viewpoint. This guy saw this, he tells you this viewpoint. That's what goes on. It's really the beauty of the Gospels is these different writers are telling it from different angles. And in fact, John tells us in his Gospel, he writes the, let, the let, last one. He goes like, hey, I'm not telling you everything that Jesus did. In fact, if I tried to, the books of the world wouldn't hold it. I'm telling you these things for this reason. And John says the reason he wrote is so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that we'd have life in his name. That's John's theme. He tells us very plainly. So just understand this when we read this. This isn't all. This is a portion. And for whatever reason, Mark has told us these events in this way. And it's very purposeful. So I'm going to begin the reading where I'm going to start, so this is Resurrection Day, but I'm going to start really at the point of Jesus' death and then go from there, okay? So I think I said verse 42. Are we going to go all the way to 37? Can we do that? Okay, so I'm going to pick up the reading in in 37. And, oh, let me just say this. So as I read it, just look for things that are surprising. Look for various people and how they respond to what they see, Okay? And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. that, That was taller than a man could reach. God tore that. We talked about that Friday. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph and Salome, When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage 
And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And he summoned the centurion. He asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they're saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I should have titled the sermon that, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Let's pray. Father, only you knew that we'd be here today and that we would hear this word read that you have for us. So trusting you, Lord, I pray that you would have us hear what we need to hear. And all of us, you knowing each of us, you'd help us by your Holy Spirit to respond to you as would be good for us. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to kind of walk through this. As you notice, there's a number of various people. They, they hear and see similar things. But you also notice, just even in that reading, they have different reactions or responses. And so in the end, we'll finally consider our own. So I'm not going to go back and post the verses again. But this would be typical if you've been around our church. We'll read through it. We actually do a class early where we kind of walk through the text. But have your Bibles open. It'll help you follow some of the words because I'm going to quote things. Emma's going to project a few, but it, it'll help you. Okay. So soon after Jesus' death, we're introduced to Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, we're told that he's a member of the Jewish council. That's the very council that convicted Jesus. So I believe that he was personally against the decision. He was a secret follower, and what we read there was he was looking for the kingdom of God. That is Joseph, as well as I think Nicodemus, you know, from John 3. I think they're both members of the council. Um, Jesus was the one who had been promised by the prophets of old that he would bring in God's kingdom into the world. That's what Joseph is thinking. Now he's dead. What happened? What's that mean? And what we read in the text is that Joseph now comes to Pilate, the Roman governor, and he, he, he took courage. So consider for a moment what that means. Where are the disciples here? Where are the disciples coming to get in his body? Disciples had all fled. They'd all scattered, actually, as Jesus said they would. And, and John tells us this when he writes it in chapters 9 and 12. 
that the Jewish council would excommunicate anyone who confessed Jesus as Messiah. They're cut out of the Jewish faith. This, Joseph doing this was the most public statement of his belief in Jesus that could ever be made. And he does this after Jesus was dead. He's providing his own personal tomb for the burial. It no longer mattered to Joseph what it would cost him to declare his allegiance to Jesus. And then we have Pilate. Pilate is the one, one of the ones that you might remember, who personally interviewed Jesus. So we have Jesus in his trials to Caiaphas, to the high priest, and, and to Pilate on a couple of occasions. And you might remember, Pilate was very troubled in his interviewing of Jesus. Uh, John tells us more of the specific language in some of that. But Jesus tells him, I, I came to bring the truth. Pilate goes, what's truth? He's a bit cynical as a politician, a ruler. What, what's truth? He says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you've, you've said that. Jesus answers in ambiguous ways very often to draw us in, to make us ask a deeper question. We just want simple answers. Have you noticed Jesus almost never gives a simple answer? He's always provoking us to think. We just want it easy. No, no, he wants us to think. Why? A non-thinking world never comes to the Lord. A non-thinking world thinks, I got it all together. A non-thinking world doesn't wasn't get to the deeper questions of life. Jesus is always provoking that, provoking those to, to seek him. The, uh, oh, he said, I, I came to speak the truth. He says, what is truth? And he says, Jesus' response is, those who are of the truth will listen to me. What's he saying to Pilate? Do you hear the invitation in that? Pilate says, I got the authority to let you go. Remember what Jesus says? You do. You wouldn't have any authority at all if my Father in heaven hadn't granted it to you. Pilate's really troubled in his conversation with Jesus. This is not the normal uh, conversation he's going to have before someone who's about to be executed when I have the support. He's so troubled. He goes, he, he declares Jesus innocent, but he, he's troubled by the whole thing. But the people want him to be crucified. So of all people, think about this, Pilate had the closest conversations with Jesus in the very final hours of Jesus' life. Pilate was confronted with who Jesus was. And while he was troubled and while he knew Jesus was innocent, his love for his own position, that's what kept him from looking any deeper. And he let Jesus be sentenced to death. Now here we are in this this account, Pilate is surprised to hear that Jesus is already dead. I mean, normally a crucifixion would take many excruciating hours for that, that victim to suffer, uh, to slowly be suffocated. That's basically what's happening with the spikes and all, and all that, the pressure, the downward pressure. It's, it's not simply blood loss, it's suffocation. It would take many more hours. Sometimes it would actually take days. This was a, a common means of execution for the Romans. Jesus had died fairly quickly. So John tells us that the soldiers came to break the legs of the two other men across from Jesus in order to speed up the suffocation, but Jesus was already dead, and so one of those soldiers thrust a spear through Jesus' side, and blood and water came gushing out. 
There's Pilate. The other one in the story here is a, is a centurion. Pilate's called that centurion in to confirm Jesus' death. See, a centurion, uh, centurion, century 100, he is the captain of 100 men. This is one seasoned general. And a centurion was, would be posted at this execution site. In, in one case, it's to keep order, but it's also to witness the death. In that sense, he's the county coroner. He wants to make sure. Here's what we read about him in the early verses of Mark 15. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man is the son of God. This is a veteran of witnessing executions. What was it that he saw so different in Jesus' death? Was it the way he cared for others in his death on the cross? Where he says to to John, who's standing there with Jesus' mother, he says to John, behold your mother. Was it his conversation, his words to the other dying thief, who apparently in the last hours of his life realizes who Jesus is and realizes he's a condemned man justly, Jesus isn't. Or Jesus says to, to that man, as Jesus is dying, today you'll be with me in paradise. Or was it the way that Jesus talked with God the Father while he was dying? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Or quoting from the Psalms, actually, This is the only time where Jesus did not refer to God as Father. It's the moment when he he took all our sin, and he's quoting from Psalm 22 where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or was it the last bit where he says, It is finished. (laughs) My work is complete. Sins are paid for. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Centurion's there. He hears it all. And none of this is normal conversation for a dying man, is it? One who clearly is talking with God in an unusual way. One who taught that God was his father and taught his children to pray to God as our father. One who welcomed the undeserving into God's kingdom and offered forgiveness even for those who were his enemies. Who does this? Who is this? The centurion watched, watched it all. He who was a veteran of executions, and he's the one that declares, truly this man is the son of God. And now he comes to Pilate to verify Jesus is dead. And then we have the women. It's interesting as we read this account, where the disciples did you, did you notice how many times um, Mark's writing of the women, these women who had traveled with him in Galilee, the women who follow, they're, they're there around the cross. They come in when Jesus is captured. They go all the way to see where, the, where he's buried. Disciples have fled, but these women were all those places at the cross, following, waiting until Joseph picks up the body, seeing the tomb where they laid him. And once night had come on Friday, that would mean the Sabbath had begun. The Sabbath ends Saturday at 6 p.m. That's when the markets would open up again. So then they went and purchased spices to embalm the body. They rose up early the first day of the week on Sunday morning to go to the tomb. 
And on the way, they're discussing the large stone that sealed the entrance. What would they do? They, they didn't have a plan to move the stone. And when they arrived, the stone was already rolled back. You, you should understand this about the stone. The stone being rolled back and removed was not so that Jesus could leave the tomb. It's so that others could see the tomb's empty. That, that's why that is. I mean, you remember John's account where disciples are gathered and they're scared and Jesus comes through the walls. I mean, he's right there. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he's not confined by, by tomb or walls here. Not at all. This is so they could see. He, he, he's gone. That body's not here. The other gospel writers tell us of the various appearances of Jesus over the next 40 days. Mark simply tells us that the body wasn't here, and the, but the angel was. And it's the angel making the declaration. Here he is. <clears throat> the fifth one in this story. The young man in the white robe. The angel. So most often what angels are doing, sometimes they're protecting, but they are most often messengers. In fact, uh, the work I do in the Muslim world, it's a, it's a lot different world here. But when, when someone comes to faith in Jesus, when I'm listening to him and tell the story, almost it's always uh, an angel that came to him in a dream. It's like, and they, and they talk about things they would not have known. And then it gets them to the scriptures. It's just interesting how often that is. It doesn't tend to be the way we experience it, but lots of places it happens very much. And, and here's this messenger. Now, this is not a dream for them. Here they are. And the young man has a message. Notice it. It's very interesting. He's, they're alarmed, and he says to them, don't be alarmed. This is just not what they're expecting. They're coming with spices to to anoint Jesus. He's dead. They saw him die. And here's what he says. Let me read it again. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Look, see the place where they laid him. That's not it. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. That's important, isn't it? and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And I think I should have titled this just as he told you. Just as he told you. So just, let's just think. Hey, uh, Emma, leave this one up for a little bit, okay? Let's just talk about it. So don't be alarmed. They're afraid. He said, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's actually, I think it's usually the first thing out of an angel's mouth. Whenever you see anything you read in the scriptures, it's like, don't be afraid. And so if you see those like, uh, let me find the right words to use this. Um, angels are warriors, okay? They always are in scripture. So these, they are often, when, when they appear larger than human beings, they might have swords. They don't look like dolls, okay? And sometimes some of our pictures of angels, I'm just like, these are what, so the words that always come out is don't be afraid because whoever's seen him is generally trembling, they, they know this is, this is something otherworldly. He says, you seek Jesus. He knows why they came. And he's telling them what's happened. He's not here. He's risen. First time they see it. They're not expecting it. So first words. Okay. Later on, Jesus makes appearances. This is the first thing as these guys come. And then he gives them instructions. Very interesting instructions. They are to go and tell the other disciples He's risen. And they're especially to tell Peter. Why Peter? 
Oh, let me just ask it. Sometimes I, this one's not rhetorical. Why is Peter singled out? Why does he want them to tell Peter? Yeah, Pete, Peter had denied him earlier, right? What is Peter going through right now? Can you imagine the shame on Peter? So no, we, we know John 21, we're in front of the disciples, that whole fishing story, and he calls them in, he kind of restores Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? You know, and those things, yeah, I love you, I love you. So I don't think it's the first time Jesus is talking to Peter. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, he, he's recording all these different resurrection appearances. One of them he records is, Jesus appears one time to 500 people at one time. I'm not sure we have the whole exhaustive list, by the way. But in the, in the 1 Corinthians 15 account, he speaks of Jesus appearing to just Peter. So we don't know it specifically. I mean, how many, how many things do you think that Jesus did we don't know about? Think there's a couple? Probably so. But I think because of these clues where the, where the, the angel says, go tell the disciples and tell Peter. And because 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus appeared to Peter, that's a private deal. We don't get to hear what happened. But we can imagine it, can't we? Jesus who prays, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Jesus who knows that Peter was going to deny him. And he told Peter that. Peter goes, oh, everybody else dies you. I'm not going to. I'm in all the way. And Jesus just said, Peter, I mean, for the, for the rooster crows tonight, three times you're going to deny me. He knows. He tells him. Oh, one of the gospels actually says, but then when you return, Peter, go and strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows all our failings before we do. It just doesn't surprise him. He's full of mercy. What's he at? He just asks us to come. Just come. Our problem is we, we want to we we make ourselves look good. We want to make ourselves look better than we actually are. It's fake. We're not there. One of the best things that any of us can do is actually come like, you know what? I need him. I need him. I need you. That's the point. We come to that point, we're way better off than trying to pretend that we don't. I, I think Jesus, this whole thing is he wants Peter to know mercy's coming to you, Peter. Go tell him, women. Tell the disciples, tell Peter that he's risen and he's going to Galilee. What's the next thing? He's, he's going to Galilee. He's going to meet you there. Here's the phrase. Just as he told you. And here's, here's a phrase I'd like you to get. Jesus is going to do what he said, even if it doesn't look like it. Can I say that? Jesus is going to do what he said, even if it doesn't look like it. That's still true, because this story isn't, isn't finished. Jesus died on the cross. Significant point. As we talked about it Friday here, I mean, this one's dark. We call it good because it's not the final chapter. We come to resurrection. We understand forgiveness of sins has taken place. But resurrection isn't even the final chapter. Holy Spirit, he sends his Holy Spirit into the church. He says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm ascending to the Father. I'm sending the Spirit into the church, into the body of Christ. And part of that is because you got some good news. And that good news I want you to tell. And part of that good news is Jesus is coming back. And the kingdom that he's building is going to happen. You get tired about the kingdoms in this world? You get tired about political leaders right now? Are you exhausted by it? Who's your guy? Who's your woman? Who's your lead? Who are you going to trust? Where is it? I'm telling you, we did this in Daniel this summer. Jesus is building a kingdom that you cannot see. 
He builds it in the hearts of his people. It's a subservient kingdom. It's people that look like him, that live like him, that have his Holy Spirit in. It's people that love when they're hated, that can, can go through suffering, but they got a joy. Why? Because they know the resurrection. They know what Jesus is like, and it's part of Jesus' call to us. That's just who he is. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. And people that don't want to hear won't hear. Just like the gospel of Mark goes through. They're hard-hearted. They're right here. They don't see it. It's all of us. We're all like that. Anybody that follows him is not better than someone who hasn't. It's his mercy when we do. We just want to heed the call when he's calling. So I think there's something here when he says he's going to Galilee just like he said he would. Jesus will do what he says even when it, when it doesn't look like it. This is the message that the angel gives to the women to deliver to the disciples. So we read in verse 8, um, and they went out and they fled from the tomb for, for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. That's why I call this, is, is it too good to be true? They were in shock. So we talked about this in the 9 o'clock hour. They told no one, what do you mean? So I, I think what it says they told no one means it's not literally no one because we know they went and told the disciples. They're not going and blabbing us. And the emphasis, they're afraid. They're afraid. Their minds are reeling. This is not what they expected. How could this be? Sort of thinking back over all the things as Jesus had said to them. So they're going to they're tell Peter and others simply what they know, what they've seen, and all of this up to this point is before they've actually seen him. They know the tomb's empty. They know that an angel's there and what the angel has said to them. So when you read the other accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we know it's not just an empty tomb. For over 40 days, Jesus is appearing. There's at least 12 recorded different appearances of Jesus. One of those, as I mentioned, was to 500 people. I don't think that's all of them necessarily, but it's a bunch of them. After that 40 days, he ascends to heaven and he tells his disciples, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They are then waiting for 10 days. And that's when the church is launched, when the Holy Spirit comes. There's about 120 of them in this one house praying. And that's when you see a dramatic change. Think about this. It's 50 days, what we call Pentecost, after Jesus' crucifixion, only 50 days. It's not that long, right? That the very same disciples that are scared and running for their lives are now in the streets preaching the death and resurrection of Jesus. What changed? What? I mean, he's gone. What changed? One is they had seen him resurrected. And secondly, the Holy Spirit came and, and filled them with the courage. They had seen him. The tomb was empty. Everyone knew the tomb was empty. Even the Jewish authorities knew it. There was no body to produce. If there had been, believe me, the Jewish authorities would have produced it right away to shut up this preaching from the very beginning. So we know that's what happens. Okay, so why does Mark's gospel end this way? I mean, this is like awkward, right? They're, they're afraid. They're not telling anybody, okay? So this is, this is the earliest, we think the earliest ending. So it's very purposeful, and I think it helps point us to what Mark's trying to point us to. It is gospel. 
All along the way, if you go back and read this one, you will see that the disciples are very slow to hear, to truly understand, and to believe. Sound like anybody you know? Doesn't that sound like us? I love disciples. You know why? They are goofballs, and they mess up all the time, which is strangely hopeful for us, isn't it? Do you ever feel like, oh, Lord, I wish I got this. I don't Do you ever have those discussions with God? All the time. I mean, it's like all kinds of things I don't get. Or I mess up way more than I, I, I should. I know better. I mean, just like, so when I read, when I read like these guys, you don't go like, you knuckleheads. You go, you knucklehead. I mean, we're the same. We're no different. So it's weird. I actually find the inconsistent example of the disciples as actually being strangely encouraging. Because it's no different than us. Which says what? It's more about God and God's grace and us responding to him. And the problem with religion is we think, I got to do it right. I can't do it. We, we have it in terms of my, my religious performance. That is just not the gospel. So if you're not used to things around here, we're, we're studying the book of Galatians. We just took a pause this week. Um, we'll, we'll pick it up in about four weeks. Galatians is amazing. It's just describing what the gospel of grace is like. God's grace, his initiative, his love towards human beings, forgiveness is unhuman. It's otherworldly. Forgiveness like that that Jesus speaks on the cross, that's not human language, human depth. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? They walked in this way, all the way on. This is, this is unbelievable. And Jesus talks out forgiveness in a way that you cannot fathom, you cannot repeat, you cannot do unless his Holy Spirit's working in you. He's so strong in it. And all of this is not about I, 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 I want to be in, so what do I got to do to be in? This is like open up ourselves and say, Lord, just work in me. Come and do it. I'm done. That's his Holy Spirit coming in and doing a transformation within us that is otherworldly. That's his kingdom. That's why in John 3, it uses language of um, being born of the Spirit. It's like a brand new thing. And you won't be perfect in it. But I want to encourage you, it's God's work. Are you open to God's work? Pilate's resisting because he, he's got all this stuff going on. He's right there face to face with Jesus. He knows there's something norm, not normal about this. He knows there's something. He's troubled by it, but that's as far as he goes. Don't be there. Don't be there. So what does Jesus' resurrection mean for us? How do you respond? The very last week of Jesus' life, I'm going I'm to say two things here. Jesus says this in Mark 10. Uh, it's, it's quite a story. Do we have that one, Emma? Mark 10, 45? Yeah, thank you. I'd love to read the whole context and the whole story. It's pretty amazing. Disciples are actually fighting. <laughs> disciples think they're pretty cool because they're following Jesus. And so they're actually fighting about who's going to be the, the, the lead guy. Who, hey, who's going to be your wingman? You know, when you come to your kingdom, can I sit on the right? You know, maybe my brother on the left. And Jesus, you know, he just kind of brings a child in and says, you've got to become like a child. He, he just goes counter on him. But then he says this. This is the ending of that whole thing. He says, he calls himself the son of man. So you might remember this from last summer. If, how many of you ever heard someone say, hey, Jesus never claimed to be God? You can raise your hand. How many of you have ever heard that? Oh, there's only one brave person willing to raise their hand too. Man, I, hear that. I used to hear that all the time. Jesus never claimed to be God, maybe the son of God. You know, he, he claimed to be man. So remember this. That term son of man is from Daniel 7. It's from the prophet 
who speaks of the Son of Man coming in all his glory to the Ancient of Days and his throne, he's pulling this right out of prophecy. He calls himself that all the time. It's a term for Messiah that the, the Jewish elite knew. In fact, when they hear him saying that, they, they think it's blasphemy. So people say, he just always said he's a son of man. Like, like, he's like one of us. That's somebody just not reading the Bible. Daniel 7 says it. So here's what he says. He, he, he used that term, speaking of himself being Messiah, and says, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he goes, absolutely counter on us where we think the lead guy is a guy that's who everybody serves him, right? I came to serve, but the phrase give to give his life as a ransom. What's a ransom? That's a payment, right? For release. Someone's held captive. So he's given his body to release us from the captivity of, of sin and Satan. That is all the evil that's around release from it. Um, I'll, I'm going to use even a different word from a self-centered life. I, I remember not, th- I remember thinking, man, I'm, a, I'm actually a pretty good guy. Cause I could, I could name 10 of my friends on high school, a lot worse than me. You know, that's not what Jesus, I didn't even realize how bad I was until you start thinking about being self-centered. Don't point fingers when I ask this one, but if you're anybody that ever got married, realize what self-centered is. I didn't realize I was so self-centered until I got married. You want what? You think that way? You like, I mean, it's everything in life. And what is that? I'm putting that in the sin category. It's centered on self, not on God. It's our natural bent. Uh, how, many, how many of you ever had a child? How many of you ever had a two-year-old? How many of you have ever, ever tried to teach a kid to speak? How, how many of you have ever tried to teach a kid how to obey? Okay. There's one thing you never have to teach a kid, how to disobey, right? It's like the most natural thing in the world. Not all of them, not all of them, but, but a lot of my kids' first word was no. That was to me, they'd say it. They knew where to use that, no. Um, that's why I say that. We all got this bent. Our bent is not towards God. Our bent is towards me. I'm king. I just illustrated from a, I'm a, a little child because we think little children are innocent. This is just in all of us. And little kids actually show us what's in all of us. We, as we get older, we get used to hiding it. I'm not selfish. You know, I know how to treat people good. Inside, I'm selfish. I'm doing the right thing. But inside, I'm really mad about doing the right thing. Okay? They're just, that's how it is. That's, that's just our bent towards ourself. And, and Jesus came to work in all that, so we live a whole different way. Again, not perfectly, but I'm telling you, if you ever get it right like that or you want to do what's right, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit working. That's a good thing. So Jesus came to free us from, that's the ransom. But follow this one. I'm going to end on this one. I'm going to read it in just a second, um, Emma. The, this, is, this is from Mark chapter 8. It's the very first time that Jesus came and, and speaks these words. The Son of Man must suffer. He will be beaten and die and he'll raise again. And that's when Peter says, you know, no, Lord, don't do it. And he says, get behind me, Satan, and all that. But then he says this, after all that, he, um, he calls all his disciples in. So not just the 12, but there's a big crowd. And here's, here's how he expresses what it means to follow him. Uh, this is chapter 8, verses 34 to 36. Thank you, Emma. He says this. So again, this is a little bit that whole ransom language. 
Now it's a call. So this is what it like, if you're going to exchange your life, here's how it goes. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Leave that up, Emma. I think this is probably a better definition. So I don't know. The word Christian is this term. I'm not sure how to describe. There's so many things that fall under that umbrella Christian that aren't what Jesus would do or be like. So maybe a better term is actually from this, a follower of Christ or disciple. That's what Christian should be. Um, that's his call to us. So I want to stand this way. I'm going to talk to two groups of people. Um, sometimes I say, hey, those, I use the phrase, those yet to believe. You can't make anybody believe. I, I want to present things reasonably and clearly, but I know God's the one who does that. And I always use the word yet because I never know what God will do. So those that are yet, let me just ask, will you consider following him? And if not, why not? But if you come to the place, and so I'm going to use different words besides just believe, because when he says believe, and when you see it in the language here, it's not just mentally agree with, it's surrender to him. It's yielding to him. It's trust. I trust you. I do believe this but I trust you. Be assured of this. You don't have to have it all figured out. Certainly disciples didn't. You don't have to. In fact, when I read the Psalms, I love reading the Psalms because honest questions go to God in prayer. And once again, I think this is where the disciples are strangely encouraging to us. They did not have it all figured out. I don't. You don't need to. Don't let that be the point of resistance because that's not, Jesus says this. I think it's chapter 11 of Matthew. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus loves weak people. In fact, it might be the place where he demonstrates his love the greatest. He speaks of humility. What will keep us out of the kingdom is our own pride. And we all have it. We just got different forms of it. I have it. You have it. So... That's my first appeal. Let me just say this. Sermon will end, day will end, uh, whether it's Pastor Mike or myself or Joe or Rob, we just love to engage and talk more in this. Finally, to those who, who that point has happened for you, there's a point where you've trusted him, you do, you belong to Jesus, you know you belong to him. Let me just say this. Today, let's think about future. Let's think about resurrection. Let's think about what's ahead in this year. We've experienced, I said this with a group of pastors last week, I've experienced more death this year, 2022, than any other year. We're only, what, three months in, than any other year in my 25 years of pastoral ministry. I don't know how to explain it. I know this, though. I've been in different kind of funerals. People that clearly know and people that I don't know, and it's just different. I've been around people that it's the last days of their life and it's the know the last days coming. You guys heard this. Bob Heiser, dear brother here. 
Bob lived this out. I was there when he's talking to some of his kids. He's okay as he's struggling. He had up days and down days, and we're wondering if the Lord will heal him. And that's how he and Rhonda were thinking about it, but they're not clinging to that outcome. They both are like, if the Lord takes me home, I'm good with that. And Alan, I want you to know this. And he talked with sons and that about all that. I'm telling you, it's otherworldly. It's not head in the sand. It's true. I've watched it lived out this year as I know it to be, but I've watched it more clearly than ever. So for those that belong to Jesus, let's think about it that way. The resurrection affects how we live now. Without being melodramatic, let me say it very clearly. That's why I go to Central Asia. How much time do you have there? How long does it stay open? That's why you're gracious to share me and going. That's why we've got other pastors coming up doing that stuff. That's why go knowing your prayers. Psalm 90, teach us, Lord, to number our days. I don't know how many days we have. Do you? I'm going to live every day of the full. Every day. So we all get to encounter that question in some way. I'll leave it here and then I'll pray. How does Jesus' resurrection affect how you live? For his children, I hope there's greater hope, joy, and assurance than ever before. And for those yet to believe, I hope the day comes soon. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's cold today, but the sun's up, and your word has spoken to us. Thank you. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is active, and I just ask this again. You know everybody here. You know who's listening online. You know what we're like. You know our questions. You know our weaknesses. You know our obstacles. None of it's too great. I pray, Lord, that you'd enable each one here today to engage with you at whatever's going on in their life. And Lord, that you would do a good work. Lord, I pray that we'd ask for that work. I don't want to be the only one praying it. That each of us would ask for you. For that, that you will do. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.